It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. It's another beautiful day for baseball in Los Angeles. And baseball podcast. Josh Schaefer and Blake Harris cover everything Dodgers right here on Inside the Ravine. How's it going, everyone? And welcome to a brand new episode of Inside the Ravine. Joining me this week, as always, is my co-host, Josh Schaefer. Josh, it's cold, it's cloudy, it's dreary, it's about 40 degrees outside. Luckily for me, I get to stay in all weekend. You got to venture out into a beautiful Ontario, so best of luck to you, but how are you uh, holding up with this storm of the decade, as the uh, local weathermen are calling it? Yeah, it's pouring outside. Um, so, so that's interesting. Um, we get this, uh, there's like one of those, um, I don't even know what they are. They're like the thick plastic, like rain, like rain drains. And there's one that sticks out, um, on the balcony, like right next to us. And it just constantly drips right on it. So that's how I know it's raining. Cause if I hear the drip, I know that it's raining. Um, and, and sure enough, I, I hope the mic can't pick it up, but I can hear it right now. Um, but, but yeah, it's pouring. I got to drive out there later, but, um, I know that there were a lot of places that were getting rain or like wind recently. I know that there's been some places not in LA, but around the LA area that have had snow recently. So, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's one heck of a week with, with all the storms we're getting, but, uh, but, but yeah, at least, at least in Arizona, at least as of late, it's only really been the wind around spring training. So, so now that spring training is getting ready to go, um, hopefully the weather out in Arizona, um, remains uh, good. And then hopefully we're back, we're back that way here soon too. And not to sound like your typical, like LA person or California person, but I do enjoy the rain. I definitely won't enjoy it today that I have to go somewhere. Um, but, but generally I like the rain. I think there were some parts of like Southern California that are getting blizzard warnings because like, it's actually supposed to snow. I think like my uncle who lives out in Santa Clarita, there's actually supposed to get a little bit of snow. Unfortunately, we're not getting it over here near Pasadena, but that would be kind of cool to see. I know, I don't know if you've gone outside lately, Josh, but the snow was a lot lower on our mountains than we're accustomed to seeing. So maybe you can keep on going just a little bit more and we'll get it. So I, I drove out. So we played on Wednesday. We played tonight and then we play Sunday all at home. And the other day on Wednesday was when the rain first kind of started and it was light, Um, but the clouds were really low. So I remember looking up at the San Gabriel mountains right next to the freeway where, where we live. And I thought, you know, I wonder if it's snowing up there already. And then like it rained a little bit on and off the rest of the day. It wasn't anything crazy. But then when we left um, to like walk across the street from our office to the arena after lunch, I look up and the, uh, the, like Mount San Antonio. So now out in the Inland Empire, you could see the snow falling all the way in the distance. So now that now I'm hoping the clouds aren't as low today so I can try to see at least the San Gabriel's a little bit too. But we were just commenting the other day that the snow that we got this year on the San Gabriel's and on the mountains and Mount San Antonio out in the IE, um, it wasn't it, it didn't last as long this year as it did last year, or the year before. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh if we get a little bit of snow after this weekend and, and, and how much exactly. So now what's the over under on how many uh, personal jokes you're able to make this weekend while working for the Ontario rain. So that's, what's tough is because you can, I, I'm now in a position where I can make the joke right off the top, like pre-taped broadcast open. I'm in there. I'm making the rain <laughs> joke. But then at that point I can't do it like over and over, like I can't do it right. during the game, during play. I can't make a joke where it's like, it's raining goals or something like that. <laughs> like I have to, I, now, now the way that I have to work it in is I have to hit it right off the top. And then, you know, maybe coming back from a commercial or something, I can hit it again, but it, it's tough. 
puns I think I can get in, but using the actual term, like it's rain, like I can't, I can't, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'll, I'll make an effort, but I can't. If, if, if they score three, you have to drop the it's raining goals. It just has oh, to. Give me, give me three first period goals and I'm all in. There you go. It's raining goals. So, uh, hey, if you want to see some goals be rained in, are you guys playing the Seagulls by chance? Because that would be the perfect opportunity. <laughs> um, well, there are so many bird oh. teams in our division. The odds are of us playing them are pretty high. We actually play them on Sunday for the <sighs> final time this season. It'll still be raining. So It'll, It will still be raining. Yeah, You can set it up there. Yeah, it was funny. That actually, the last time we played down there, we got off the bus, and uh, there was a big, one of those big, like, rectangular large metal trash cans was outside and there was about 30 seagulls just sitting inside the trash can and we were like oh that's cryptic so there you go maybe if it's raining today against or on sunday against the seagulls or against the goals maybe maybe i'll make another reference there you go so uh (laughs) five minutes talking about the rain seagulls snow all that kind of fun stuff but we're gonna try to turn things around josh we'll uh talk some dodgers for the rest of this episode but before we get into everything dodgers everything spring training make sure you guys follow inside the ravine on whatever social media app you guys use we're on twitter we're on instagram we're on tiktok at inside the ravine we're also on youtube you guys can watch the full episodes over there i don't think it's slash inside the ravine i don't know if we've officially gotten that handle yet but you guys can just youtube inside the ravine you'll find the full episodes there and you can also listen to the show wherever you guys get your podcasts we're on the odyssey app because we're brought to you by odyssey sports we're also on spotify and apple Podcasts or whatever other podcast platforms that are out there that you guys might listen to again inside the ravine give us a review give us a five-star rating We'd love to hear from all of you guys, but Josh, the focus on today's episode, because there's been no Dodgers news that's really come out since we recorded our last episode, so today, with spring training officially starting tomorrow, I believe it's actually officially starting today for a number of clubs, but the Dodgers' first game is tomorrow, I thought this would be a fun time to pretty much go over the things we're looking forward to this spring training. We've talked about this in previous episodes that we think this spring training is going to be a lot more exciting than most. There are a lot of different storylines. There are going to be a lot of different players that we're going to want to be following. And with the World Baseball Classic going on, a lot of the Dodgers' top players aren't going to be at spring training for the Dodgers for majority of camp. So it's going to allow a lot of other players to get more playing time, which again goes to show why this is going to be a much more exciting spring training than normal. So Josh, I don't know how many you were able to up with i was able to get a few i'm sure we're going to have some overlapping ones but i'll let you kick things off on uh one of the things you're looking forward to seeing this spring with the dodgers well i'm going to start by saying first and foremost i want to the way that i'm going to classify these because of the world baseball classic is not just things that i'm expecting to see at spring training or in spring training games specifically i'm going to classify all of this as kind of in the spring before the season starts. And yes, the focus is going to be on spring training, but I don't want to just exclude a couple of things that might be interesting from this conversation because of the World Baseball Classic. So I don't know if you kind of thought the same way, but that's how I entered this specifically. Um, So now I'm going to ask you, do you want a fun one or do you want like a realistic? Let's get a a fun one right off the bat. Let's, Let's kick things off there. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to start with Freddie Freeman and... The reason I want to start there is because there's no question Freddie Freeman had a, had a great season for the Dodgers last year. Um, he was the team's most consistent hitter right up there with Trey Turner. But obviously there was a little bit surrounding him with the way that he left the Braves and the whole thing that happened when, the, when they visited Atlanta. And it gets down to it for me is he's been here for a year now, and this is his spring training with the Dodgers where he knows everybody where he knows what's expected of him, where he knows what it's like to play in L.A. So I'm looking forward to seeing um, how Freddie Freeman is going to be composed going into spring training because I think that this is a year that's going to be even more important for Freddie than last season, his first year with the team, because he could be more relaxed. like He could be a lot more composed. He could be more ready to go than he was last year. So I think that all starts in the springtime just as a whole. And then going into, you know, opening day, um, I would expect Freddie Freeman to be back to his old self um, being 100%. And honestly, I'm expecting a bigger year for Freddie this year than last year. 
Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing is, I was just going to go, the fact that last year, dealing with everything he dealt with, obviously he probably wasn't 100% comfortable until maybe later in the year. You can make the case that last season was maybe one of the best seasons of his career. Obviously, he won an MVP a couple years ago, but it was, you know, the shortened season. But last year, Freddie Freeman hit 325 on base percentage of 407, which is the highest of his career if you take out that shortened season. I mean, he was fantastic for the Dodgers last year. And again, he probably wasn't 100% comfortable until later in the year, at least until after that Brave series. So you have a brand new spring for him. He's probably the leader of the clubhouse now, along with Mookie Betts. So yeah, we might be getting a even better Freddie Freeman, if that's even possible, based on the season he had last year. And like you said, I'm looking forward to it as well, because that's something that a lot of people forget when you know we've talked about. People think the Dodgers are going to be significantly worse this year. Well, Freddie Freeman, I think, is still a top 10 player in all of baseball. He's still in the heart of your lineup. So I'm looking forward to seeing him, and I'm glad you uh, brought that up because that one actually didn't crack my list. So I'm glad we got on it. Yeah, and you know what? I think that there were points in last year where he was like, where where he was still hitting the ball well. You know, his average was obviously high. He was consistent. Um, he was getting on base. But I think that there were points of last season where people were thinking, you know, his home run number isn't very high. He finished with 21. A couple of years ago, he had 38. The year before, he had 31. Like, I think people were a little bit concerned. Like, I mean, he's hitting the ball, but he's not really hitting very many home runs and obviously does finish with 21. And then there was also a point where, okay, yeah, he's still hitting the ball, but his strikeout rate is actually a little bit higher than it was before. And he's not hitting as many home runs. And obviously that's not really impacting the team, but maybe that will figure itself out. And as time went on, Freddie did figure that out. Obviously, he did have over 20 home runs. And his strikeout numbers, he actually finishes with 102 strikeouts on the season, which was fewer than the year before. And in his two biggest years with um, with Atlanta, right before the COVID season, he had nearly 130 strikeouts or more in each season. And this past year, he finished with about 30 fewer. So you see that home run rate go up a little bit more later in the season, and you see the strikeout rate go down when you see him get comfortable as well. So I'm hoping that he can start, you know, he can start off hot other than just being the team's most consistent bat, other than having the highest OPS on the team, which I'm sure he will. But um, I think if you can, if he's settled through spring training, if he's more comfortable than he was last year, and if he obviously knows what the Dodgers are about and how they want to play and, you know, what the expectations are for himself, especially, um, then look for him to have a hot start to the season. Yeah, that's the crazy thing when looking at his numbers last season. He posted an OPS plus of 152, an OPS of 918, two insanely good numbers, which will, you know, have you finish top five in MVP voting. And like you said, only hit 21 home runs, which is, you know, significantly down from what we've seen in years past. Like you said, 38 home runs, 31 home runs. I mean, even in the COVID shortened season in 60 games, he hit 13 home runs, which is like a pace of more than 30. So, if Freddie Freeman hits 25 to 30 home runs, that's going to be an OPS of close to 1,000, an OPS plus of close to 170, which, like you said, is going to be even better than he was last year. So I'm really excited to see Freddie Freeman, how he looks in a brand new season, a comfortable year, because I think, like you mentioned, Josh, he might put up even better numbers than he did in uh, years past. So I'll switch things up now. I'll talk about one quick one. This is something we kind of briefly mentioned in the last episode, but it's kind of the storyline that everyone's going to follow. And that's just the outfield battle in regards to the Dodgers. Obviously, Mookie Betts is going to be your everyday right fielder, barring him getting an off day or him playing second base, which apparently he's going to be doing at the World Baseball Classic. So he's going to be in right field every day. But the Dodgers have some question marks when it comes to center field and left field. Obviously, you have Chris Taylor, you have Trace Thompson, David Peralta is going to be in left field whenever there's a righty on the mound. But there are some other options as well. You have James Outman, who played, I think, in only four games last season, looked really good, was great in the minors. Do the Dodgers give him runway for a chance to earn a spot on the everyday roster? You're also going to have these veterans they brought in on minor league contracts in Jason Hayward, Bradley Zimmer, Stephen Duggar. It's only been about a week, Josh. I don't know if you've been following along on social media, but Jason Hayward's kind of generating a lot of buzz, a lot of hype already. He had a home run the other day off Tony Gonsolin that kind of made its way around social media and a lot of the beat reporters that are out there kind of believe that Jason Hayward already has this spot kind of locked up before the first games even happen so 
I guess that's good encouraging news to hear, but I'll believe it when I see it when it comes to the games. But there are a lot of different options for the Dodgers in the outfield and not a whole lot of spots available. Yeah, you're right. And I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, we can combine what my next point was going to be now, too, is because because I wanted to bring up the Jason Hayward thing, because I think that he is already kind of I don't want to say the front runner, but um, he has been generating some buzz. And um, when Dave Roberts was asked the other day if if Jason Hayward already has a leg up on a lot of the other non roster invitees out to spring training, the answer was yes, because of how the career that he's had um, the, the effort that he's put in so far and kind of the growth that they've seen from him after um, coming back, you know, recently he look, he, he missed a lot of time last year. He only played 48 games for the Cubs in 2022 and he's now going to be 33, 34 years old. Um, so he's 33. He'll be 34 by the time the playoffs come around. If he's on the Dodgers, in fact, um, and I think that if he continues to generate interest, if he continues to impress at spring training, they said that his swing looks a lot better. Um, he's already taken some live BP against Tony Gonsolin. And I, I'm, you know, this might sound obvious, but he, he does have a leg up on, on pretty much everybody else that he could be going up against in, in spring training, um, that are non-roster invitees. Um, so I think that's interesting. And like you said, you know, the, the outfield battle as it stands right now is Mookie Betts is going to be a right fielder. Um, and, and sure, you know, he could play a little bit of second. If they need him to play center, he can do that too. He did that a little bit during the COVID season. But obviously you have your right fielder on lock. Trace Thompson was great last year um, when he came out for the Dodgers. Um, Chris Taylor has been getting back to kind of being Chris Taylor, it seems like. Um, we've seen a couple of different things um, coming out of spring training saying that he's felt a lot more comfortable trying to get back for the Dodgers because obviously he missed some time last year. And then when he was back, just wasn't great. And obviously that's, you know, a year after he was an all-star. Um, and then, you know, you also have David Peralta, who I think could be, we talked about him last week, obviously. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, Peralta and Hayward, um, both lefty bats too. So if Hayward is in that mix, that doesn't just give you four pretty reliable outfielders. It could potentially give you five um, and a couple batting from the right, a couple batting from the left. And then somebody like Hayward and, and Chris Taylor, who you can kind of space out or platoon or do whatever you got to do to make sure that you can compile a strong outfield and a couple of good bats in the lineup as well. So um, from a Hayward perspective, I think it's really good to see that he is generating some buzz and that maybe he does already have a leg up on some of the other invitees. I mean, obviously, Jason Hayward, the last two seasons, he's been pretty bad. But 2020, you know, the COVID-shortened season, it was just a couple years ago. OPS plus 129, OPS 848, hit 265 on base percentage of just under 400, had six home runs, you know, in 50 games. So this is just, I know it seems like a long, long time ago, but two years ago or three years ago, he was still a very, very solid addition to have in your starting lineup and especially, you know, defensively as well. I believe the Dodgers are going to figure something out when it comes to Jason Hayward. I think there's already been reports that he's changing his swing a little, so maybe that works, but I agree. I think Jason Hayward has the leg up, but that's why we play these spring training games. Maybe Steven Duggar, maybe Bradley Zimmer, they come out and they're electric, they're insane, they're impossible to keep off the roster. And again, we didn't even talk about him during that little stretch. James Outman, who put up insane numbers in the minors last season, defensively is considered to be a gold glove caliber talent out there in the outfield. And so I mean, the Dodgers have so many solid options. I'm very excited to see who's able to earn playing time because with Mookie Betts, you know, again, in the World Baseball Classic, there's going to be a lot of time to go around for guys in right field as well, where you can give Jason Hayward, James Outman, more at-bats, more innings in the outfield. So not that it's like a blessing that some of these guys aren't going to be at Camelback this year for spring training, but we don't need to see anything more from Mookie. We know exactly what we're going to get. So having him gone and giving guys, I think, more runway to play, I think is actually really going to benefit the Dodgers. And again, that's one of the ones I'm looking forward to seeing the most. Uh, Josh, do you want to do you want to go, or I have another one as well? If we want to, no, stay no, go in. ahead, go ahead. This is an interesting one that I'm actually very, very uh, intrigued by, and that's Noah Syndergaard. 
So we already know what the starting rotation is going to look like. It's going to be some shape or form of Clayton Kershaw, Julio Urias, Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May, and Noah Syndergaard. Those guys went through five, again, in some sort of order. But Jason, or not Jason Hayward, Noah Syndergaard is kind of the only question mark I guess we have because we haven't seen him in a Dodger uniform yet. But a couple days ago, or maybe it was a week ago, Bob Nightingale posted in one of his articles that Noah Syndergaard has already been clocked as high as 96 miles per hour and higher, which means he might be throwing 96, 97. And the reason why that's such a big deal to me, Josh, is the fact that last season in 2022, Noah Syndergaard averaged on his fastball only 94.1 miles per hour. So whether it was in a bullpen, whether it was a faulty radar gun, he's already two miles per hour faster than he was last season at the beginning of camp, at the beginning of spring training, which you don't usually start the year as high as you can go. You usually start the year as low as you can go. So I'm not, I was looking at a savant page and years and years ago when Noah Syndergaard was getting Cy Young votes, he was getting MVP votes. He was averaging 99, 98 on his fastball. So I'm not saying or predicting he's going to be averaging 99, 98 and essentially just looking like the Syndergaard of old. But if he gets his velocity up and the Dodgers are able to somehow recapture what worked so well many years ago when he was considered a top 10, 15 starter in all of baseball, that's a pretty good piece to have as your number five starter. Well, you know, we talked about this when the Dodgers first signed him. It was like, what? But then also (laughs) you kind of thought, I mean, look at what the Dodgers have done in recent, look at last year with Tyler Anderson, um, Andrew Heaney, like, these are guys that when the Dodgers signed him, it was kind of a head-scratcher. And then they both had phenomenal seasons. Tyler Anderson was one of the Dodgers' you know, best surprises all year um, and was a mainstay in the rotation and was part of the reason why the Dodgers won as many games as they did. So now you come into this next season and you think maybe prior, maybe the Dodgers can do something with Noah Syndergaard and get him back to where he was before. And again, you know, you look at him and, and I don't think he was terrible last year. I mean, he was, you saw a difference between when he was in Philly and when he was in Anaheim. Um, And then, you know, obviously that's even a bit of a drop off from his time with the Mets um, a couple of years ago, but look, if they can get him back up to where he was throwing before, I I don't even think they need to get him back to where he was throwing before, but Obviously, you get the confidence back, and then you get um, – if you just turn him into a reliable arm, I just think that you're getting everything you need, right? I mean, his deal is reasonable. One year, $13 million. I think you just want somebody that's going to be a reliable arm for you, somebody that could be in your rotation, um, yeah. especially with the fact that the Dodgers are probably going to be without guys from time to time in the rotation. So um, if you can have him come back in and have him be a reliable arm – I think already the deal looks good, and I think the signing looks good. So um, that's kind of where we're at with the Dodgers. I'm starting to trust these uh, off-season moves to bring in kind of an older pitcher who who may have struggled in recent years but was better in the past. I'm starting to trust those signings now with the Dodgers because they have a good track record of turning these guys into a reliable piece, and I think they can do the same thing with Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, I think when the signing happened, we were essentially like, all right, believe in the Dodgers, and essentially for Syndergaard, just stay healthy, eat innings, and that'll be okay. And I'm okay with that. If he's able to, you know, go five, six innings every start, if he's able to stay healthy, I think that's a win for the Dodgers. And if his velocity happens to go up a few ticks along the way, well, that's an added bonus. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, and that's kind of, I, I, yeah, I just don't think that the Dodgers need him to be throwing that high again. Um, but the fact that it is supposedly been raising a little bit too, I think obviously can't hurt. And I think that's a great thing for Noah Syndergaard. Um, All right. So now I'm going to move on Blake to my, this is more of my logical interest. (laughs) Okay. Um, And it's not even about the Dodgers specifically, but it's about the rule changes because I think that that's something that people are going to have to get used to. Um, And obviously the Dodgers are going to have to get used to it. There were reports the other day that the Dodgers spent this whole um, session and practice pretty much just going over rules um, and the rule changes. Um, Obviously one of them is the pitch clock. Um, 
I think I've, we've, we've talked about this a little bit on the show. I went up to a bunch of uh, California League games last summer where they already have the pitch clock. It's great. Yeah. It's great. It's amazing. Um, you, you really don't even notice it while it's happening. And then the eighth inning rolls around, and you're like, whoa, we've been here like an hour and 45 minutes. You're like, whoa, we've been here like two hours. Like, that's amazing. And then you go home and you still have other things you can do that day. So I think maybe a lot of people will love it. A lot of people will hate it going in, but you might not even notice it. It's like the netting when they extended it down yeah. the outfield lines and stuff. If the team didn't say anything about it, you never would have noticed it. Like, you're just trying to be angry about something, you know? Um, so I think that the pitch clock's going to be great. The end of the shift, again, I know probably a lot of Dodger fans love that that might be coming to an end because that means no more um, second right fielder with Manny Machado against the Padres, which I this is stupid. I have no way to prove this. Like, I've got no, I have no way to prove this stat. The Dodgers have been phenomenal against the Padres in the last couple of years, right? I mean, their their overall record is is still really impressive. Regular season record, obviously, is remarkable. It would be even better for the Dodgers if Manny Machado could not have played shallow right field. Yes. I mean, it's taken away runs and hits left and right in big games. So I know Dodger fans are probably going to be excited about the shift, um, but all four infielders have to be inside the outfield grass when the pitch is thrown with two infielders on either side of the base. I am interested to see how that works out, kind of more old-fashioned baseball. I saw something the other day about how in like a little uh, inter-squad game, Muncie had hit a base hit yeah, where somebody would have likely been shifted against him. And when he got the first base, he was like, yeah, no shift. So <laughs> I'm interested yeah, to gonna... see how that plays out and if the Dodgers are going to be even better because it seems like the Dodgers head into the shift more than anybody. And maybe that's just because I spend more time paying attention to the Dodgers than other teams. Um, but I I'm interested to see that. But I am – I'm a little bit intrigued to see how certain things are enforced. Is it going to be strict to the point where it's like – come on, man, like that's barely even a shift. Like, can we let that slide? Or are they going to let a lot more slide than they should? So I'm right. I'm interested to see how some of the rules are enforced. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Max Muncy thing from yesterday because I was going to qu quickly uh, touch up on that. Yeah, I, I forget, you know, where they said the ball was hit, but essentially, yeah, the ball was hit where the shift would have swallowed it, but instead Max Muncy got a hit and he ran out of first base and was pretty much screaming like, yeah, no shift. So... It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how many times Dodgers hitters are going to benefit from that. And I, got, I agree with the pitch clock as well. You know, I think it's going to benefit the game so much. Not necessarily even getting the game down from three hours and 10 minutes to two hours and 55 minutes. Like, sure, it'll be great to save 15 minutes. But I think it's just going to overall make it that much more exciting when you're watching a game. Because there's nothing worse than when you're sitting at home watching a game. And then a bat takes like four to five minutes. Not necessarily, it's like a 15 pitch at bat because those actually get kind of interesting. But it's just one of those at bats where a guy's just fouling off some balls. He's taking his time. The pitcher's taking his time. And it's like, okay, I mean, I, I'm kind of over this at bat already. Then they ground out. If every at bat is taken one minute at the absolute most, maybe two minutes if we get like a 10 pitch at bat, I think it's just going to make the overall experience watching at home and especially at the park. It's going to be a whole lot better, and I, th I can't remember if those are the new ones. I think the new base, that's also here. Um, I don't know if you saw those memes last week when they were showing the new base of how big they were making it. Like, yeah. it's, a li it's a little bigger. It's not as big as they're making it out to be, but if that allows for more stolen bases, which I know, Josh, you and I are advocates of small ball. We're advocates of stolen bases, bunting, all the kind of stuff that our grandparents used to enjoy. But if there's more stolen bases, I think it's going to make baseball more exciting as well. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm excited too. And uh, this ESPN article says that it'll be enforced. The pitch clock will be enforced um, by if the pitcher has not gone into his motion to deliver before the expiration of the clock, then it will be charged a ball. And if batters entering the box delay they'll be charged to strike that actually happened the other day in college baseball. It, yeah. I, you know, I'm glad that I'm, I understand major league baseball is different than college baseball, but the way that major league baseball has been publicizing the rules and there's been the coverage around the rules and they're saying 
this is why we're doing it. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to enforce it is way different than what college baseball did a couple years ago, because there were like games decided on somebody delaying stepping into the strike zone a couple years yeah. ago. So, and so I don't, I don't know how many times we're going to see that. I'm sure the first time it happens, it'll be all over Twitter. Um, but I, I think that we actually don't see that very often. Cause I think people will get the hang of it. And then, you know, going into the shift, um, I did want to bring up because I know I think people are in on it, but maybe people are thinking like, oh, like why specifically are they changing it? Well, Major League Baseball's batting average last year across the entire league. Uh, the, so the league wide average was down to 243 last year, which is the lowest in almost 60 years. And then the the two seasons before that also have the lowest rate in baseball since then too but last year was even worse so it's the same way as like i always go back to hockey to kind of put something in context just because that's the field that i work in but a couple years ago in the nhl it seemed like the goals per game average for both for every team in the league had gone down and there were fewer goals scored so what did they do they were like okay we're gonna shrink the legal size of a goalie's pads just a little bit and then the same thing happened and they're like all right just a little bit more and they would keep shrinking it so it's like Look, you see the league-wide average going down year after year after year after year. So now the league is finally stepping in to say, all right, we want more singles. We want more, you know, um, extra base hits. We want more runs scored. And obviously I don't think that the run scored is a huge issue, or at least I haven't seen the numbers that say that it is. But you do have a lot of guys striking out. You have a lot of guys hitting into the shift. So um, if you can limit that a little bit, then who knows what we're going to get. And, and you know what? Maybe after this season, I'll be more a fan of um, no banning the shift, but why don't you get an allotted number of shifts per game or something like <laughs> right. that? I think that'd be a great way to do it. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, give each team three shifts per game. Choose when to use them. If you want to put yeah. Manny out in right field again, well, you have one of three chances to do that. Um, Josh, I'm glad you brought that up because I saw a tweet recently and I wanted to quickly try and find it. And this was posted two days ago from uh, Codify Baseball. And it's essentially the amount of MLB teams hitting under 240, essentially going back to 1998. I don't know if you saw this tweet, but it's absolutely insane. So from 1998 through 2009, there were zero teams in all of baseball that ever hit a combined 240 or less. Zero. Then in 2010, there was one. In 2011, there were two. In 2015, there were zero again. In 2016 and 2017, there were one. In 2019, there were four. But Josh, in 2022, would you like to take a guess as to how many teams in baseball hit below 240 collectively as a team? I'm going to say 22. It's a pretty strong guess. Not quite as strong, but it was 14. So ah. nearly half the teams, and again, I know batting average is kind of a dying breed. It's not something you want to read too much into, but you still have to get on base by hitting the ball. And the fact that just years and years ago, zero teams, like zero, were hitting combined 240 as a team, and now essentially half of all of baseball is hitting below 240, it just goes to show, I'm not, I'm not saying that's entirely to blame on the shift. I know launch angle has a lot you know, to do with that. But I think the shift is going to maybe take that number from 14 teams, maybe down to like nine or eight. I mean, if that's the case, I'll still take that because you're getting a lot more base hits, which again, at the end of the day is what we want to see when we're watching a baseball game. We want to see base hits. Yeah, I just hope that they've identified a problem and they're not just chalking it up to the shift, which I don't think is the case. I, I, I think that that has been a problem where it's like you could, I mean, everybody knows that there's that one clip of a it's the Dodgers, I'm pretty sure, playing with like five guys on the right side of the infield from like 2013 or something like that. Right. And like it's a famous little like screenshot of a broadcast. So and that's ridiculous, you know. Um, and then also it's just so much frustrating, so much more frustrating to watch when you think like lay down a bunt. And then it's like, oh, well, the analytics show that you should swing. And it's like sometimes I don't really care about the analytics. Just yeah. sometimes I just want to watch baseball. Not saying analytics yes. are bad. I don't want to get into a different conversation here, but sometimes I just want to watch the game. And sometimes that logic sleeps in where it's like, hey, you could get on base if they weren't shifting. And again, you and I talk about this all the time on the show. It seems like other teams do that to the Dodgers all the time. And the Dodgers don't do that. And when the Dodgers have done that, what do we do? Well, we get on the 
on the podcast and be like, oh my God, greatest decision in Dodgers history, right? Like right. they just dropped a bunt against the shift because everybody does it against the Dodgers. Well, now you don't have to worry about that anymore or you don't have to worry about it as much because banning the shift isn't going to ban a player from standing almost behind second base or something like that, which is fine. I think that's because at that point you're just playing smart, right? You're just yeah. starting to shift over to try to take away or anticipate where a player is going to hit the ball. So I'm just saying that sometimes I would rather not worry about the analytics and I would rather just play the game. Um, and I think that them banning the shift ultimately forces teams to just play the game a little more than trying to read too much into the analytics. Right. Yeah, well said. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Josh, I have one quick one just before we wrap things up and do our uh, Q&A. And that's just, I want to see all these young guys. I talked about this earlier. I talked about there's going to be a lot of you know opportunities for guys because a lot of guys are going to be playing in the World Baseball Classic. But we talked about you know Bobby Miller, Gavin Stone in last week's episode the top two pitching prospects in the Dodger system. I'm looking forward to seeing how they look against big league hitters. I don't know if they're going to be like starting games or what's, so I don't know if they're going to be facing, you know, like actual MLB star talent, but I'm really interested to see how they look. But some of these other guys, you know, again, I'm going to bang the drum, Josh, for Michael Bush, who would yes. literally be a top prospect. And there it is, the angler's jacket for those that are, are not uh, watching on YouTube. But, in 20 other organizations, he would be the team's number one prospect. He would be the number one name heading into camp to keep an eye on. He'd be a guy that would be on the opening day roster, guaranteed, potentially in the opening day lineup. There just hasn't been room for Michael Bush. I don't know how things are looking right now, but hopefully for Michael Bush, this is a spring that he can prove that he's worthy of having a spot on the everyday roster because the numbers speak for themselves. You know, what he's done in the minors over the last couple of years, what he did in AA and AAA last season, posting an OPS of 900 and hitting more than 30 home runs. Like, I know we talk about Miguel Vargas, we talk about James Outman, we talk about all these kind of guys, but literally Michael Bush has performed better than all of them and doesn't get the kind of respect. So I know you're hopeful, I'm hopeful that he gets some sort of runway this spring and can prove his worth to uh, the Dodgers. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my one last kind of thing as well of, you know, I just want to see Michael Bush. And I think that this is a huge opportunity for him in the spring because even last year there was a, a bigger opportunity for him. And he definitely impressed more last year than I, I, I feel like in years prior because he was around and because he was getting some opportunities to take some at-bats and to play in the infield. So, um, yeah, you know, and especially, you know, like you said already, the fact that there are guys gone at the World Baseball Classic is not a um, a slight at the Dodgers. It's it's not a bad thing for the Dodgers. If anything, it's a good thing because that is opening up more opportunities in spring training for guys to for other guys to play um, and to get some innings, to get some at bats. Um, and I think that that's what's super important for the Dodgers right now. Because again, like you said earlier, we know what Mookie Betts is going to bring to the table, and Mookie Betts' spot in right field is already solidified before spring training obviously so um i'm excited to see what we get i'm excited for some of the young guys i'm definitely excited to see uh, michael bush um and, and and obviously i think that we are going to see him at some point this season um i hope it's sooner rather than later and maybe spring training is a reason why for what it's worth josh i looked up his quick uh, spring training numbers over the last two years so he's appeared in only 18 spring training games but he's hitting 286 an OPS of 946, has a home run, has three doubles, a couple RBIs. So he's, again, small sample size, but he's shown it in spring training. So hopefully he gets a chance this year. Yeah, maybe I'm just misremembering this, but I feel like that home run was like a bomb. It probably was. It probably yeah. was. Last spring in uh, five games, he was four for eight. So yep. he's shown it. And a couple other names that I just want to quickly throw out, Diego Cartaya, who is the Dodgers' top prospect. He is probably one of the best catcher catching prospects in all of baseball. I'm excited to see how he looks this spring because the hype is starting to certainly, you know, surround his name anytime he steps into the bat and batter's box. And one final name is Andy Pajes. Not Andy Pages, like a lot of people and myself initially thought. It's Andy Pajes, who a lot of people believe has the most power of any prospect 
in the entire Dodger minor league system. So he's a name to keep an eye on as well. But yeah, Josh, so many young guys, so many talented rookies, so many talented minor leaguers. Again, this is going to be a spring training. I mean, there's probably three or four storylines that I didn't even get to that I'm also interested in talking about because there's just so many. We don't have enough time, but I'm excited. Before we go to a, a break, Josh, any final words, any final uh, quick thoughts uh, before spring training starts tomorrow? Well, I will say that due to work and due to games, I won't be able to do what I did in college um, over spring break on the spring breaks where I did not go home or did not um, go on a trip or anything like that, which was just sit down and watch spring training every single day. So I'm bummed that I won't be able to do that this year, but I am excited for spring training to to finally be here and um, give it a couple weeks and I'll probably be pretty over it and I'll just be ready for opening day. Yeah, it's usually about like that second week in March or so when you're kind of like, okay, let's just uh, get to the games that that count already. So we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be answering some questions from the listeners. All right, we are back. Josh, time for one final segment, and it's uh, always a fun time to answer questions from the listeners. So if you guys out there listening ever want to ask us a question for a future mailbag, make sure to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Inside the Ravine. Usually right before we record an episode, we post saying that we are going to be answering questions. So again, if you'd like to ask us a question... In a future episode, make sure to follow us over there. Josh, I'm going to turn to uh, Twitter first, and this comes from Laura99. With the loss of core players over the years, with the exception of Kershaw, has there been a natural gravitation towards Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts that this is your team now? I believe the addition of Miguel Rojas and J.D. Martinez will be astronomical for upcoming core players. It's a good question. Um, I think yes. I think we have gotten to that point. Obviously, you know, as as you mentioned, there is Clayton Kershaw. Um, there are some pitchers who have been around a little bit um, as well. Um, but, yeah, I think Justin Turner was such a leader for the team, and he was such a core guy um, that, yeah, I think that, that that question is reigning true, leaning toward Freddie and Mookie. But, and you've still got Will Smith. You've still got Austin Barnes. You've still got Chris Taylor. You've still got – Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller obviously is out, but Walker Bueller, um, and there's a lot of guys who've been around for a while too. But by going and adding some veteran players like J.D. Martinez, like David Peralta, that adds to the leadership group, I think, as well. But yeah, I think that this team is starting to lean towards, um, I I don't want to say belonging, but um, I, I think your core guys now are not necessarily the veterans as they were in the past. And obviously Mookie and Freddie are both, of course, veterans, but guys who haven't been around as long, still obviously with tons of years in baseball to play, I think that, yeah, I think the team is starting to belong a little bit more to them. Yeah. Which is good, I think. Yeah, I mean, Kershaw, obviously he's the veteran, but I don't know, just something, I I don't think Kershaw's kind of like, essentially what Justin Turner was. Everyone said that Justin Turner was like the clear leader of the locker room. He was the guy that was kind of the voice. I don't think Kershaw is necessarily that, and I think they've asked like both Mookie and Freddie this spring, you know, with Justin Turner gone, with a lot of guys gone, are you guys going to like, you know, take that next step and establish yourself as like a leader in the clubhouse? And they were kind of like, you know, we feel like we don't really have to, like, it'll just come naturally. We don't have to give like a speech or anything and let guys know that we're the leaders. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see, but I think what the Dodgers have done this offseason based on the guys they've lost like, you know, the comments said, bringing in guys like J.D. Martinez, you know, Miguel Rojas, like you said, David Peralta, veterans that have been around the game for a decade plus where they're not necessarily the guys that are going to be the captain on the team, but they're veterans that are going to be great role models for rookies and just young guys as well that have been around the game for such a long time combined. They've been around numerous teams combined. So yeah, the, the Dodgers don't have the captain as per se. I guess technically it's still Austin Barnes undercover like people said last year but (laughs) i i think the dodgers i i think they're they're really in a great spot and there was a question actually over on instagram we kind of just talked about it young jeremy 20 said does it feel like freddie freeman is the captain of this team and 
I don't know. I just, I just don't see it with Freddie. Like, although I'm sure he's a, a great leader in the clubhouse, a lot of players have said that he's like the go-to guy when it comes to that kind of thing. I don't necessarily think he is like the captain, and I don't think he wants to be the captain. I think he just wants to be one of the guys. And like he talked about, what I just mentioned, not necessarily have to have other guys rely on him to have that role. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think there's a difference by between identifying him and Mookie Betts as the core players of the team um, and kind of singling out Freddie Freeman or one of them as being the captain of the team. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a little bit different. I, I agree with you. I, I feel like Freddie kind of just wants to be one of the guys. Um, yeah. I think he'll be a leader when he needs to be. But, um, you know, for the most part, I think that um, I think he just wants to be part of the team. Yeah. Completely, completely agree. We have time for one more question, Josh, and this comes from old school guy seventy seven. Do you think Walker Bueller is going to play this year? I mean, we've been talking about the Dodgers and how good they're going to be, the starting rotation, everything, and all that's done without talking about Walker Bueller because he underwent Tommy John surgery. I don't think he's been officially ruled out. I think he talked recently saying that he's going to try to be back by the end of the season. So anything can happen, Josh. But what are your kind of thoughts and predictions this this far out of the year well he's like six months into his rehab and typically recovery is about to it's between like 12 and 16 months right so if he's on the back end of that then no i don't think he comes back um if he's on the front end of that, if it's around 12 months or 13 months, then yes, I think that there's a, a reasonable chance. There's a chance that he plays at the end of the season or maybe he's back around postseason. But again, you know, if he comes back for the playoffs and the Dodgers pitching has been good, it's kind of one of those questions like, do you, you play Walker Bueller who hasn't pitched in over a year over a team that's been pretty good? You know, we had our whole lineup composition show going into the playoffs and we had to exclude some guys, you know? Um, and if it, if it, I certainly hope it doesn't come down to that. Um, but yeah, if he's, if he's on the back end of that, like say 15 month recovery time, then, then no, I, I don't, I think it's very unlikely that he plays this year. Yeah. I, I just wanted to quickly get up Dustin May's game log and see how he progressed. So Dustin May, his last game in 2021 was May 1st. And then I believe he got his Tommy John surgery a week or two after. So probably around the middle of May. And he was able to return to the Dodgers. What, August 20th was when he made his uh, season debut this past year. So middle of May to the middle of August. Walker Bueller last year, he pitched. And that was June, about 13 or 14 months. He pitched right? June 10th. Yeah. So he pitched June 10th. I don't know when exactly he got his surgery. But I want to say a couple weeks after that, so maybe end of June. So if Dustin May's last game was May 1st and he came back August 20th, you know, Walker Buehler's a month and a half later. And that's assuming everything goes according to plan. He's able to, you know, rehab fully. He's able to stay healthy. That means if he's on the same trajectory as Dustin May, that has him returning like, at the very end of September, early October. And by that point, it's like you said, is it is it worth it? Do the Dodgers want to bring him back? If they were if they were to bring him back, if Walker Buehler was able to come back healthy, I don't think he would be as a starting pitcher. I think they would just say, listen, let's just build him up to go one inning, maybe two innings out of the bullpen potentially. I think it'd be a nice piece, but I, I guess based on when he did get the surgery, it does give a glimmer of hope because, again, this is just going off Dustin May's timeline, which could be entirely different. But if you go off at Dustin May's timeline, he could return middle of end of September. But that's assuming a lot of things go right and he's able to come back. And that's also assuming the Dodgers even are willing to bring him back at, at that point. I, I hope the Dodgers are in a position where they don't feel like they have to. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, you the timetable for for Dustin May was around that thirteen to fourteen month rehab, and that barely brought him back. Yeah. So add on another month and a half, and let's say that they're on the same timetable, then he's getting in right at the start of the playoffs. Yeah. If he's on the shorter end of it, where it's like twelve months, then that takes away that month and a half, kind of. And then he's coming back the exact same time as Dustin May. If that's the case, 
then sure. Okay, like let's bring him back. Let's see what he's got for the season and not push it. Give him a couple of innings and bring ease him back in the way they did with Dustin May. But that's yeah. if he's on, you know, the 12-month kind of recovery thing and he's ready to go. It's not worth rushing him back because yeah. he's a guy that by the end of this season, for the upcoming year, he's going to be your guy again, right? Or you would hope that he would be. So I don't I don't see a reason to rush him back. My, my – my general answer is I think that it would be unlikely to see to, to see Walker Buehler this year. Yeah. I mean, I'm entering the season not expecting to see him return. If somehow he's ahead of schedule and he pitches, that would be great. But I, I'm expecting him to be shut down for the entire year, see him in 2024 fully healthy and uh, helping the Dodgers next season. But again, if he's ahead of schedule, he's able to help the Dodgers in September as a reliever, I'll take that. That would be great. But Josh, that does wrap up this edition of inside the ravine still raining by me i don't know how it's oh, poured yeah. by you if you're able to hear the uh Orange. the drip in the drain like you said so uh lots Correct. of rain to come the rest of the day luckily for uh arizona like you said just windy they're not having to deal with all this rain because that would suck to wait this long to see some baseball action and the games get rained out and we have to wait a couple more days so hopefully the weather's able to uh, fend off in arizona Hopefully we get some good and games. Today beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> so yeah, they're not going to be getting any rain delays anytime soon. So well, that wraps it up. Maybe maybe on Sunday, a little bit, maybe oh. a little bit of rain on Sunday. Oh boy! But other than at that, least we're going to get a game guys. tomorrow. At least yeah. we're going to get a game tomorrow. So make sure you guys follow the show on whatever social media app you guys use. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Just search inside the ravine. You guys are going to find us there. Make sure to listen to every episode on Odyssey on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your podcasts, leave a review, let us know what you'd like to see in an upcoming episode as the season quickly approaches. Josh, next time we record an episode, we're going to be having a lot of fun spring training stuff to talk about and a potential interview that you know got pushed back a little. But that's still coming in the next week or so, so make sure to stay tuned for that. Before we head on out for the weekend, any uh, parting words you have? Keep an eye out for that interview. We've been excited for yes. it. it. It had to get pushed back a little bit, but um, it's it should be a good one. It should be. I had to do a lot of reading for it, Josh, so it's a rarity. So you know it must be and, good. And I didn't even know you knew how to read, so. My girlfriend didn't either. I was sitting there reading a book yesterday, and she's like, wow, you're reading a book? And I said, I know. This is a first since high school, but uh, make sure you guys stay tuned for that because it's definitely going to be a must listen whenever it drops. But as always, thank you guys so much for listening. We do appreciate it. For Josh Schaefer, this has been Blake Harris. Thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy spring training baseball and enjoy the rest of your week wherever you may be.